Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Day Buckeye Talk. It's what you watch, you what you eating, what you polling, what you tight ending. Doug Maurice and Nathan Baird. We did talk to Kevin Wilson and multiple, multiple Ohio State tight ends on Monday. We will get into that. We will talk in uh, a little bit about the naming of captains over the weekend, and then at the end, Nathan and I will do what you talk, what you eating, what what you watching, what you eating, which is like, hey, I saw a thing on the old boob tube, and then I consumed something to nourish my body, and what was it? But let's start off with the AP poll, Nathan. It's your favorite thing to do. It's your favorite thing to talk about. It would be the first line in your bio. Uh, I mean, your obit. Um, AP poll voter Nathan Baird uh, was abducted by aliens on Tuesday, right? You know, that's that once you're one of 63 people in the country, man. Hey, it might be the first line of my obit because it might be somebody I didn't vote for. They're crazy fans who come and take me out. If you look at the, the Twitter date, by the way, today is my birthday. And I joked before that, yeah, yeah, that um, Monday is my birthday. And so I get to spend my birthday having my Twitter just be a uh, avalanche of how much of an idiot I am or actually sprinkle in occasionally how much of a genius I am, because I was one of only two people to vote for one team, but one of only two people not to vote for another team. Yeah, you could just go through like on on Twitter, whatever, just like mute all all associations with Arkansas or whatever, and I, whoever it is that's mad at you. So let's dive into it. Let's talk about where Ohio State is, where you voted them. You know, people probably by now know where they are. Where did you have Ohio State on your AP ballot? I have a number two. They are the consensus number two team. They received six per- first place votes, but none of them were from me. And I haven't had time to look yet to see out of curiosity who those did come oh, from. I know who one's from notorious Buckeye suck-up Dave Briggs of the Toledo Blade. <laughs> hey, I'm just calling it as I see it. I'm Dave Briggs. Tell him I said that. If you're listening and you follow Dave Briggs on Twitter, or if you know him personally, tell him that he's an Ohio State suck-up. I didn't say Homer. I said suck-up. He wrote something. Here's my explanation. I'm Dave Briggs. Uh, this is why the Buckeyes are number one. I'm a award-winning columnist. I'm just doing that because I like Briggs. Um it's a reasonable vote. Did you ponder Ohio State number one? Not really, just because I think there are still enough questions on defense compared to 
I think Alabama's going into this season as as far as like what we have knowledge of looks like the more complete team to me. I think that's fair. And then I think it's fair to be very open to week one, September 3rd. Holy moly. Sure. That looked good. Cause Notre Dame, by the way, is five, right? I Notre Dame is five. I had Notre Dame number seven, but yeah, I, I think you're right. That if they come out and were to really blow the doors off of Notre Dame or even just, you know, handle them in a pretty solid way they're going to have a good claim to being number one if that'll we talked about this before like whether that flips enough votes especially because i think alabama plays like utah state that day and it's probably just cracking them pretty good so um i don't know if it'll flip enough votes but i think it'll flip some if ohio state handles notre dame that way so did you legitimately have a team that you were only one of two people to vote for and another team you were only one of two people to not vote for I believe I did. I believe I voted for North Carolina. Okay. In in addition to North Carolina State, it wasn't a confusion. Yes. I voted for North Carolina like 23rd. And by the way, for people, I know I've talked about this before, but like if I voted a team 30th, I probably could have almost voted them like 19th, although I don't vote for 30. You know what I'm saying? Like there's yeah. well, the farther down this thing you get, there's less and less and less separation. And it's all based on speculation. We start voting in a different way once there are actually games. But uh, North Carolina was the one that I was one of few people to vote for. I'm not sure how many people voted for Minnesota. They didn't get a lot of votes. I had them 25th. And then I think either either or maybe both Baylor and Oklahoma State. Actually, I didn't vote for Oklahoma State. And then Baylor, I had um, 24th. Oh, that's low. Baylor is one of the, as we record right now, one of the 10 teams that we have in the playoff mix on the College Football Survivor Show, mm. uh, where Baylor, and I don't know, I also have seen some people expressing extreme doubts about Baylor. Uh, I think Baylor makes possible sense as like the big 12 favorite for not exactly sure how it's going to shake out with Baylor, Oklahoma state, and Oklahoma, but I get it. You know, they uh, lost all their skill guys. They don't have anybody other than their quarterback. They, they sent off their starting quarterback from last year. They promoted a new quarterback and then nobody else on the team, everybody who touched the ball last year, every single person on the team is gone. So that makes it difficult. I and, and again, like I said, you vote differently for the preseason than you vote once you actually have data to vote with. And here it's all very speculative. And I tend to I think this is maybe one of the ways we're covering Ohio State has changed the way I look at things that I probably lean more like talent load than ever before. And then when you start looking at things like the returning production that's where I think a team like Baylor probably came out on the, the wrong side of whether I was going to put them in the uh the, or Oklahoma State, um, and whether I was going to put Baylor any higher. So let's run through some other Big Ten teams, both where they are and where you had them. Michigan is the next highest Big Ten team in the actual poll, right? Correct. What are they, eighth? Yes. And where'd you have Michigan? I had them ninth. Okay. Who was next for you among Big Ten teams? Well, that was the tricky thing. Actually, I have Penn State number eight. And this was oh. the one that I, the one thing that was affected by how I voted in the Big Ten preseason yeah, poll was that Happy I. Happy Valley, the king of yeah, exactly. Happy Valley. Nate, you, is that the highest? That I'm sure it is. They, were, they did not receive enough votes to be ranked. I know yeah. I've seen a lot of other polls, or I mean, a handful of other polls that had them at the bottom of the top 25. So they were getting other votes. I was the only person to vote for them at all. But what had happened was I had, because I had predicted the season to unfold the way it had and predicted Penn State to finish ahead of Michigan. I felt kind of boxed in to vote it that way that I needed to, if I said Penn state was going to beat Michigan head to head on the field, eventually this season, and I'd already marked, 
I had already put that down in writing, then um, I needed to vote that way accordingly. So that's why I have Penn State one spot ahead of Michigan and then Wisconsin 10th. I respect it. I respect it. I, I do think you would have had wiggle room of our preseason Big Ten poll is a prediction of how the season ends. And a preseason poll, I think, is some combination of a prediction of how you think it's going to go with also who's sort of earned it at the moment based on who they have back and what they showed last year. And it's some kind of mix of that, but I respect being true to your vote because I think there's a lot of people like us, you know, all of us do radio shows and stuff during the season. Like when you make your pick, cause you go on a radio show on Wednesday and people are like, Oh, what do you got for the Buckeyes game this week? And it's like, well, if you're going to give a score, that better be the score that appears on cleveland.com on Friday. Or say, I haven't figured it out yet, right? Like, Because right, right. too many people are just like flippant with their things. And I do think whatever you're thinking isn't anything, however you get to your conclusion is great. You've got to be consistent with your conclusion. So much respect, Mr. Baird. Well, that's what it comes back to, like the, the resume voting once once these games actually get started. I've had a couple of people reach out. Like I respected last season. I had Cincinnati lower than a lot of people did last year. I can't remember where I voted in the preseason. Somewhere around like 16th, 18th, 18th, 20th, somewhere around in there. I was on the very low end of kind of that consensus range of where people were putting Cincinnati because there weren't a lot of people necessarily putting him in like the top four last year, which is where they ended up, and at least going into the playoff. And I respected that Cincinnati people came back at me and said like, hey, don't you know about these players who are potential All-Americans, don't you know about this? Like there's specific things of why this year's team would be good. What I don't respect as much is like telling me what you did last year as like an argument for why you should be ranked now. This isn't last year's final poll. This is this year's first poll. Yeah, it's the difference of Georgia had a great defense last year and Jalen Carter is a great tackle who's going to be as good as Jordan Davis and Keely Ringo and the other guys they have at corner. Like, the guys who showed you something last year who are still there, but yeah, you don't Cincinnati this year does not get credit for Kobe Bryant and sauce Gardner. So, uh, and Desmond Ritter. So, and by the way, Cincinnati fans aren't saying anything to me today. I think I, I voted them like 16th today. I think they're probably pretty happy with that. Who's, who's yelling at you the most on this birthday Monday. I, you know, I've kind of just let it happen, but I'm, I'm sure that it's Oklahoma state and Baylor people. Yeah. Okay. So you have Ohio state two. Penn State 8, Michigan 9, Wisconsin 10. Correct. I saw Ralph Russo, I think, from the AP was like, ah, I don't know why people have Iowa, but wouldn't have Iowa like up with Wisconsin. I was like, All right, what? Uh, I, I know why. <laughs> I don't think that at all. I also saw like, you can find anything on Twitter. You can find anything on Twitter. I saw, I came across my feed about like why Spencer Petrus, the Iowa quarterback, is like a draft prospect. I think they get drafted. I was like, What? Just because he's 6'5", what about the attributes, other attributes that are required to be a successful quarterback? So anyway, um, I think that makes sense. I, again, I also, I think, pick Penn State. I think I pick Penn State, Michigan State, Michigan, like finishing a tie or something. But anyway, I respect that. Anyone else? So those are, your, so those are four Big Ten teams in the top 10, you Big Ten homer, you. And yeah. then you said you had Minnesota 24th. Anyone else? Did Iowa Michi- make it? Anyone else make it? Michigan State? Michigan State at 14, yeah. Okay. Michigan State at 14 and Minnesota at 24. And 25. That's 25. And that was 20 that was like a a battle royale for number 25 this year between uh, again like there were like a dozen teams I could have voted for there. Uh, I kind of leaned that with Ibrahim coming back 
know, this is a team that if you take out the pandemic year, so 2019 and 2021, I think they're like 20 and six. They, they you know, they've been pretty solid. So yeah. I, I leaned Minnesota there. We have had a vote at the Cleveland Plain Dealer slash Cleveland.com for a long time, I think. Um, I feel like it's our vote. I think there's three votes in Ohio, and we deserve one. As one of the major publications that covers college sports in Ohio, I think there's, there's no argument that we deserve one, but that doesn't mean we have to do it. Would you like to throw your vote in a lake, or do you like it? I like that Cleveland.com has the vote, and I'm probably in best position to handle that. I mean, I'm of the three people in Ohio who do have a vote, I'm the only one that's a beat writer. David Jablonski, who actually lives like five houses down the road from me for um, oh, that's too many votes in one neighborhood has a has a vote. And uh, Dave Briggs, who has probably golfed in my neighborhood or wherever, if there are any around here, he's golfed in every neighborhood, right? In 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 Ohio. Um, is a is a columnist, a very good one for the uh, Toledo Blade, but I'm pretty sure I'm the only one in Ohio that is a actual beat writer. Yeah, it can be uh, it can be different. Like the Dispatch doesn't have a vote, I guess, huh? They punted that. Yeah, and Bill Rubinowitz and I were actually talking about this recently, and he said, um, "Boy, like I, I, he he was appreciative of the um, the decision he made to give up that vote because it is a bear. I actually don't care about the criticism. I understand that like." people are people are riled up about their their fan base it's it, that's the that's the thing that we do with all time it's like on one hand that can be a headache but on the other hand it's nice to pay your mortgage and one doesn't happen without the other like there has to be that kind of fervor and that kind of like partisan um excitement that that fuels this and or otherwise we don't really have a purpose for having jobs it to some extent so i don't really mind that but it's more just like the workload of it. It is a real pain in the butt on Sunday mornings. And then inevitably, there, there's no vote. There's no way you can watch enough. There's no way you can possibly have seen enough since Saturday to have like taken every morsel of, of information into account. You do the best you can. But like, again, to go back to dispatch, I was talking to Joey Coffin about this recently, who had a vote when he was the USC, I believe, beat writer mm. for the Orange County Register. And like, you would play games at, you know, nine o'clock Eastern time on a Saturday night. And then your vote is due, you know, at, at whatever it is, 10 a.m. the next morning, I think 10 or 11 a.m. the next morning. And it's a, it's a catastrophe. Like you just have Eastern. to stay up all yeah. night. Eastern, yeah, Eastern. Eastern. Yeah. So yeah, you're, you're dealing on Eastern time that whole time. And you like for, so for people who think that's why I try to remind people, we're not trying to hit the bullseye of what everybody else has voted for. It's that's why they ask for 63 opinions. So that that's how the consensus is formed. Like we create the bullseye after, by putting all these opinions together. So uh, when you see one vote that doesn't, that is an outlier, it's not because that person is just an idiot. I mean, they might be an idiot. I might be an idiot, but some people it, it's, are idiots. Some, people it's, are some people are idiots, but it's also, that's how this is supposed to work. It's supposed to be sometimes an outlier opinion gets that team among other receiving votes. And then later on, you either say, who was ever voting for that team? Or like, oh, who was the guy that voted for that team in week three or, or woman? And now two months later, look where they are. Yeah. That sort of thing. No, as long as you can back it up. I've, there have been voters across that I was like, well, I have this team fourth and then this other team that has absolutely similar attributes to the team that you have fourth and the style of play and their record and their quality of opponent. I have them 23rd. And it's like, well, then I don't, like there's no there's no logic to your thoughts. So yeah, like those or, people can cram it up their cramps. 
and it's tough. Like I remember the first year I did this, I think I leaned too much on what I thought of a team as opposed to some of the actual, there were times when two, when I thought two teams were like very even and there'd be a very close win on the road by one team. And I might still vote that losing team ahead if they had basically essentially the same record later in the late in the season. And I think that is still sometimes justifiable, but I've switched to having a much more like results-based voting policy. They all come around. They all (laughs) come around to the old resume voting. Okay. So that's the poll. Ohio state, what six first place votes. We said that's about as many as they got. It's, basically the same as the coaches poll which came out before which is like overwhelming alabama number one sprinkling of first place votes for ohio state and georgia at two and three but they are two and three ohio state is two Mm -hmm. in both and then you know clemson four notre dame five and then whatever after that no number Uh, one votes for texas in the ap poll no number one votes for Texas and the AP poll. Uh, okay, quick break. We'll come back. We'll talk about Ohio State captains. We'll talk about Ohio State tight ends. Next on Buckeye Talk. All right, Doug and Nathan back with you. Uh, lots of stuff popping. 614-350-3315. Monday morning, tight end talk. Kevin Wilson talking ball. Flood of info. Yes, I get like a big week. Tuesday morning, defensive line. Flood of texts coming. Thursday morning quarterbacks flood of texts coming, you know, I guess you could find it on Twitter. I don't think everybody listening's on Twitter. Also, you don't have to go search for it. Also it's coming from us. Uh, so, you know, it's legit. Got a little analysis in it tells you the most important stuff. So I like it. And it's a two week free trial. So you could do it now, get all this stuff going up to the season. And by the start of the season, decide if you want to keep it or not. 614 3503315. I think the, the numbers have been going up a little bit. So we welcome everybody new and we appreciate everybody who's been here for a while. Captains. Uh Blocko is Cam Bab. That's the like the highest honor that you are wearing this jersey in honor of Bill Willis, who was a great all-time Buckeye. And it was Jonathan Cooper the first year. It was Thayer Munford last year. Uh, do we know Cam Bab? Uh, Thayer Munford didn't actually get to wear the zero last year because a left tackle, left guard can't do that, but a receiver can, right? Does he actually get to wear I it? So. I, I Jonathan Cooper so. got to wear it. Yeah. Because the thing is, it's a zero, but it's an O. Uh huh. That's, that's the thing. So he gets to be the O. So we were theorizing as that was announced on Saturday, you and Steven and I was like, oh, maybe it could be this guy, this guy. I think we almost like talked ourselves into someone else, but yeah. actually, Cam Babb is the guy we kind of had thought initially. What did you think? Of, were you surprised it was him? Well, the only thing, because uh, we went in, if you'd asked us a week earlier, we were already talking about like, hey, we're going to write such and such. With, or, we're, we're, you know, Cam Babb's going to be the block O, obviously, right? And then it got to like the, that morning. And one thing Stephen had said, because he brought up how the first two guys are both Ohio guys, like Jonathan Cooper is from, you know, right here in suburban Columbus. And they're growing up more over by the Cincinnati area. And like maybe that was a thing they were doing because Bill Willis was a, a Ohio guy and uh, Clevelander, Clevelander, yeah, and then came back to Columbus and did a lot of work with like youth organizations and stuff. So I thought maybe that's what kind of made me start to think, ah, uh, maybe that would be like a Zach Harrison type thing. Yeah, and I, I think came back technically would have been worthy. Would have been and worthy. both the first two guys, yeah, both the first two guys were 
like final eligibility guys, I think Cam Babb could come back next year. I didn't know if that was going to be a factor, but I don't I, I don't know that 100% for sure. I think he can. Because even though he's been here so long, you got the COVID year, you've had all his medical redshirt situations. Like, I think he could come back if he wanted to. So I thought that might be a factor. But um, but listen, I take all that away. I mean, he's an obvious choice for this. Like, just the, the aura he's had around this program for the last couple of years, even when he couldn't play, the respect has been obvious. I don't think I've ever covered a Buckeye like Cam Bab because he has the skills and the physical attributes and the resume and the background of an elite, elite player. But he has this aura around him that you often hear like about a walk-on, right? That sort of walk-on discussion. This guy who is just like, is a tremendous leader and he, he doesn't really play, but everybody respects him so much or whatever, but, but he's supremely talented and the injuries have kept him off the field. And it is, it's a remarkable needle to thread for, for and it, and it, which sets up, it will be one of the more recent remarkable recent stories in Ohio state football. If this guy can contribute on the field in 2022 or at any point in his career. Cause again, like I think there's some similarities with Johnny Dixon who played and then had net bad knees and thought he was going to have to retire and then came back. And Oh my gosh, he was so good in 2018, but um, his status in the program for a guy with a minimal number of career snaps is hard to wrap your head around, but yet here's the guy, you know, that um, when um, after the death of Dwayne Haskins and it's like, Hey, we're going to have the team's going to gather on the field. It was at the, um, the spring game. Right. And it's like, Hey, this is, you know, who's going to stand up. It's, it's like, well, it's Cam Bab. Of course it's Cam Bab. Like this guy is the emotional leader of a team trying to win a national championship. And He's barely played, but if his health cooperates, he might really be able to help them. Like it's, it's, it's very rare. It's very rare when looking for a comparison. Yeah, because I think you've seen guys come through here that who get banged up, and maybe the career just never. Like, I don't know, like Marcus Crowley, like never really got to do anything. And now he's basically just walked away from football because of how many injuries he had, like things like that. You see guys like that come through, but I don't think you see a guy who almost separate from that. I mean, I think the the perseverance of to keep coming back from that and the attitude that you show through that is, is part of why Cam Bab who is who he is, but almost separate from that to have a persona, a leadership presence where you just stand up and kind of keep seizing that moment and, 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 and being a voice for a team, regardless of whether you're getting on the field or not, that's what is more unique to me that it isn't like it, it it isn't that, Oh, we've seen how good he could be, but then he got hurt. And it's almost still like the, the contribute, the football contributions are still so like, so behind the scenes with him, but yet the, the respect that he carries it, 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 it sort of transcends just the ACLs, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And yeah. Clearly, there's some other voice that he has within that program. So as much as that perseverance has made him who he is, it's, it, there's something else there, too. Other captains, C.J. Stroud, a captain, Cade Stover, a captain, Tyler Friday, 
a captain, veteran defensive end back from an injury a year ago, Court Williams, a captain. Who else am I? And Cam Babs, a captain. And then who am I missing? I think there were six, right? Tommy Eichenberg. Tommy Eichenberg. No Taraja Mitchell, who was a captain a year ago. Uh, it, Court, no, and Zach Harrison also was a captain uh, and was not selected. And Zach Harrison a year ago was a captain is not a captain now. And again, that is not, I don't think that's a, that is not a knock against either of those guys. It's just you have another vote and the team voted and this is how it went down and they have multiple guys who could be leaders. Yeah, I we got some questions about that from the text and I wanted to kind of, it's not like, it's not like a judge being recalled or whatever. You know what I mean? Like there was a ballot that went out, like, should Zach Harrison be retained as captain? I think it was just, from what I can tell, they just, the whole team votes and just the top six vote getters are the captains. What surprised you in there? I mean, the fact, again, Tyler Friday, who was hurt last year, that he's the representative at defensive end is very interesting. Must say a lot about him. And then, you know, we got to, we slapped a C, a, C, a captain C on the side of the bus for court, man. So I, I, Court Williams, I, we're anticipating Court Williams gets on the field. He's a little bit like Cam Babb right now. Now he's played more than Cam Babb because Cam Babb barely played at all. But Court Williams' story, as you have pointed out many times, is, weight room leadership work his butt off practice like because of injuries and some other things he hasn't had the chance to really show it on the field yet but I I thought those I thought Friday and Williams were very interesting yeah those were the two surprises if you would call it Um, if you had asked me if you had said there's going to be a senior defensive end picked as a captain Tyler Friday wouldn't have been my first guess just because Zach Harrison was a returning captain himself so that was came a little by surprise but Going back to the spring, that was uh, talking to other guys on this team. It was clear that there was a, a measure of respect there for Tyler Friday coming back the way he did, you know, from the injury that cost him last year and all that stuff. And then Court Williams is a guy that before we ever got here, people were like, well, he's going to be a captain one day. And I think, though, that we probably would have expected that to happen after he took a real role in the defense, not before. Yeah. And let's not. Overlook the fact that the starting quarterback and Heisman favorite is a captain. Yep. Because if CJ Stroud wasn't a captain, we'd be like, oh man, what CJ Stroud right. is a leader on this team. There's no doubt about that. And I do think the idea that your starting quarterback and your starting middle linebacker are two of your six captains is a good thing. And Tommy Eichenberg, as of right now, is the starting middle linebacker. I think that means it's working. Because those guys automatically carry weight as sort of the leaders of those sides of the ball. And then it's like, oh, no, yeah, we like how those guys do that. We think they should be captains also. When Connor Cook, everyone remembers that, right? Michigan State's Connor Cook wasn't a better the captain. And it was like a huge deal. So, like, this is not that. So let's acknowledge that. C.J. Stroud deserves to be a captain, and he is. Correct, yeah. And I expected that to happen. Um, and, I, like, can you remember a time when the returning starting quarterback wasn't? A captain. I mean, I don't. I don't want to say because I'll get it wrong. I mean, it could have happened uh, for somebody. It could have been yeah. for like if when like JT was a freshman going to a sophomore, maybe he still wouldn't have been a captain. JT That's was like a permanent captain. I think JT was a captain all th- like for three right. years or something. But so, but, yeah. but it's that, that that is really rare, and it would be very odd if it if it didn't happen. And it was uh, we should point out it was Stroud, and then five guys who were recognized as Iron Buckeyes in the off season, which I think is not a coincidence. I think there were seven people recognized as iron buckeyes and julian fleming and ronnie hickman were the two who aren't captains i think that's correct yeah 
almost like a little surprising that like, yeah, Court Williams over Ronnie Hickman and the safeties is interesting. But again, yeah. let's not read too much into it. Again, I think they probably have 15 guys who could have been captains. And but this is who yeah. got the votes. And I do think sometimes every now and then like guys kind of vote for their class. Right. Maybe. And it's like, hey, like, OK, well, CJ's got, you know, everybody yeah. voted for CJ. Maybe everybody voted, But then, hey, like and then all of a sudden Court Williams kind of gets in there because the older guys who might have voted for Ronnie Hickman voted for. Tyler Friday and Cade Stover and Tommy Eikenberg. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, exactly. We, we, we don't know the, the full dynamics of that. And I think you also, I don't know that there's like necessarily campaigning. There's probably a difference though, when you're around people like, well, that guy really works hard and does the right thing, but that guy does all that stuff. And you can tell wants to be a captain, like wants that, that thing more than maybe somebody else does. I ran for freshman class vice president and so the election was at the end of eighth grade and I put up uh, little posters around, speaking campaign around the school where I had like a Arnold Schwarzenegger body and I cut out my head and put it on the bodybuilder's body and then like said like vote for Doug or whatever. And uh, it worked. So other, other, that. other than obviously rising to the presidency, if the president were assassinated, what were the duties of freshman vice president? I mean, break ties in the freshman Senate, obviously. Uh, a lot of ceremonial, go around the schools, cut ribbons, that kind of thing. You know, you've, got, you've seen Veep, a lot of that. Right. So, uh, and then, uh, and then uh, sophomore year, the president decided he was too cool to be president. So I was like, oh, I'll do it. So, uh, yeah. Also, just wait for the president to be like, I'm too cool for this, which also I think happens in real life. It's like, ah, hassle. Kind of like being an AP voter. You kind of like you're the vice president, an AP voter, and then you wait for the AP voter to be like, I'm out. So um, captains, again, I think it, I think captains matter. I think if we thought there was something to read into the captains, like who is and who isn't, and like, oh, especially the who isn't, we'd tell you. We would. We'd at least say, hmm? so I, I do think like sometimes there were people who were like, oh, everyone's making too big of a deal that Connor Cook's not a captain. And then Connor Cook like had a good year, like sort of fell in the draft lower than people thought. And then, I don't know, never did anything in the NFL and grabbed the trophy from Archie Griffin. And so then it was like, huh, maybe there was something to that. So you don't want to be blind, but I, I don't, there's nothing here to see. Like we, we tell you, we'd be honest, but I think this, the vote, even yeah. though there are a couple surprises, I, there, there, there wasn't anything that made me go, what? I do think there is something leadership can be overblown in general. People can use it as too easy of a storyline. Media can certainly use it as too easy of a storyline. On the other hand, I think there is something to the concept that your some of your best players have to also be your best leaders. And that happened with this group. I'm not saying it's all of this group, but like CJ Stroud will be on the field for every important offensive snap barring alien abduction. Cade Stover will be on the field for every important offensive snap. Tommy Eichenberg, it looks like right now, is going to be the guy on the, the, the first line of defense, every important defensive snap. So like half of your captains, there it is. Cam Babb, again, the obvious choice. And then that just leaves Friday, a rotational guy, and Court Williams, who we still don't exactly know exactly how he fits into this mix. But there could be a role. Um, but still, the majority, like at least half of them, you're going to be on the field at all times. I think that is kind of important. And it does add to the mythology of court Williams, which is, which can rev pretty hard sometimes. 
sometimes I like to keep it in neutral and just rev the engine yeah, a little bit. Saying. Keep my fun. I don't know. I think it's bad for the bus to do that, but I, my bus is actually is actually an electric bus. It's better. Like for you say, I like how you say the mythology can rev like like it like it's doing it to itself. Like you're not. I know. Like literally, they're just stomping on the gas. <laughs> that electric engine. Ring! Speaking of bus driving, we, we we have some comments from Kevin Wilson today that that uh, put the bus into another gear. So let's do tight ends. Okay. What do you mean? Well, this wasn't actually a tight end comment. Go ahead then. It was. He was asked about the defense. He was asked about the scrimmage. He was asked, or actually, asked. He was asked who on this defensive front is impressing you, and he said something like about twelve guys. Uh, which is okay. Very coach answer. But then that led to unprompted. This is the quote. Let me find it. We all know who it's about. This is the quote. I always laugh when Mike Hall is out there with the threes. He ain't no three. That's the best three I've seen in my life. Now, I think you tend to take it, take that quote one of two ways. One is the guy that you're driving the bus for sometimes is out there with the threes. Hundred percent. Yes. The other one is Kevin Wilson said he ain't no three. So yeah, that is I. If my call wants to start a brand, you would wear a T-shirt that reads "I ain't no three. The my call story. He should just Plus. change his number to three. Yeah, and then if his name. It'd be like the. It'd be like the. What's the the XFL? It could be a three, and then on the back instead of Hall, it could say "I ain't no." As his yeah. name. Hey, I love that guy. Oh, that was a great tackle for loss. What's his name? Oh, that's, I ain't no. So, um, yeah, very interesting. Kevin Wilson talking ball, loves to talk ball. Does not take much to get him to talk ball. Sometimes we joke about it. It's actually often quite informative a good deal of the time. And we appreciate Kevin Wilson talking ball. I will say I had this in my head to ask about. And Dave Biddle asked it. And I thought it was, I don't, I can't. I don't know that Kevin Wilson gets asked it like every spring and every fall. He's been asked it before. I thought it was time for it to be asked again. I'm not sure the last time I heard it, but Dave asked him, do you still want to be a head coach someday? And, and he gave a typical answer, which is like, I've never worried about my next job. You're, you, you worry about where you are, but he said, I do want to be a head coach someday again. And again, as, as we know, Kevin Wilson was a head coach at Indiana. That was his first time being a head coach after being a, a very, very successful offensive coordinator at Northwestern and Oklahoma, among other places. Lost his job at Indiana, not based on performance, but about uh, alleged mistreatment of some players. And that's how Ohio State wound up with a guy with that kind of resume. Just like and Shiano was different, but like you get fired. Greg Shiano, Kevin Wilson got fired as head coaches. And then it's like, well, if I can't be a head coach, what can I be? It's like, well, a coordinator at Ohio State's pretty good. So I think Kevin Wilson remains overqualified for what he is, which is an offensive coordinator, but underneath an offensive head coach. Right. But it was interesting to, to hear him say, I do want to be it again, because as pointed out, his, his I think it's his youngest child, Toby Wilson, is a walk-on offensive lineman on this team. And he sort of said, you know, we got the kids raised, which again, I hope people understand that by now. That is a huge deal. Empty nesters will go, right? Empty nesters, it's like, mm -hmm. hey, do you want to take the East Carolina job? And if your kid's a sophomore in high school, maybe the answer is no. You have a pretty sweet gig at Ohio State. If you're all good, 
Maybe the answer is yes. So I, I thought that was interesting, Nathan, that it just needs to be thought about. I don't know. I, I, we're not going to get into all the allegations uh, at Indiana with Kevin Wilson. Again, I think in the, the great big broad spectrum, they weren't great. They weren't the worst thing that you've ever heard coaches accused of. It wasn't cheating. It wasn't, you know, it was just like sort of, but I don't want to minimize it either. I don't know if his reputation has been washed enough, but I, I think it might be close, right? Just like not even that, not even that he has to like change his reputation, but that it's just like time heals all wounds kind of thing that it's been a while now. And I, he's almost maybe been here longer than I would have expected when he got here. I do think he's good at his job. I think he works really well with Ryan day, which I think is important. He talks like a head coach and to hear him say he wants to be a head coach again, Nathan was just a reminder. Yeah. And there was also a lot that he went into today where you could see, you know, we can get cynical about some of this stuff and uh, you're right that being the offensive coordinator at Ohio state is a great gig, partially for how you're compensated and he gets to be here and get a lot of credit for how good the offense is, even though he's not the play caller and that sort of thing. But I do think that he, some of the passion that he was talking about with his team in general and how much he, how close he has come, especially from his time at Oklahoma, but then also two years ago with Ohio state, like you're getting to a national championship game, getting deep in a playoff, getting a, you know, in the BCS mix, whatever, and coming up short, like he doesn't have that championship ring yet. And I wonder if there's a part of him that that's something he'll probably have to walk away from at some point. He'll have to leave they win the it championship. Year. Well, but I'm, that's what I'm saying. But until Ohio State wins one while he's here, then every time he has a head coach opportunity, that's what he's walking away from probably. He's going somewhere where maybe you can win a mid-major conference championship or be you know, like he was before at Indiana, like back in the lower half of a Power 5 conference where you're probably not even going to win a conference championship. But like that chance of winning a national championship passes. Or Geese gets put on pause until you're done being a head coach and take some kind of a other role again. So that's something I had not really every year. Obviously, his name comes up in rumors. And that's something I hadn't really factored in when I was thinking about whether he would stay or go. Because we've seen just so many other coaches make that jump because they so badly want to be a head coach. But because the situation is so good for him at Ohio State and because they are perpetually on like the the equivalent of that Akron job that he was rumored to maybe be involved in this past year, that's open every year. That that job, it, not the Akron sure. job specifically, but a version of it is open every single year. But the chance to be on the staff of a national champion is not open every single year. But right now it is to, for Kevin Wilson. He could probably stay here as long as he wants to some extent. So I think that maybe he doesn't leave until they get over the hump. But he could have said, you know what? I've been a head coach. I loved it. I love it here. If I'm a head coach again, great. If I'm not great, he didn't say that. He said, I want to be a head coach again. He's 60. He's 60 years old. He's been at Ohio state since 2017. He'll never be the head coach at a place where you can win a national championship. If he had stayed on track at Indiana, he kind of rebuilt the foundation in Indiana that Tom Allen sort of came on top of then. Um, Maybe he would have been able to, maybe he would have been, you know, in an ideal world, if he really is doing it in Indiana and Lincoln Riley leaves Oklahoma, it's probably still Brent Venables, but maybe he's in the mix there. If they want to stay offensive, he had been at Oklahoma, you know, like, like that kind of thing. Hey, uh, you know, Michigan state, 
swung and missed on Luke Fickle. They swung and missed on Mel Tucker initially. Let's go to Kevin Wilson. You know, instead they sort of ran out of ideas and then went back to Mel Tucker, right? Like that. I think like the best version of Kevin Wilson in Indiana maybe could have set himself up for that. And that's, that's gone. So if he's going to go be a head coach, he's going to go be a head coach in a mid-major or a, a, at the best, I, maybe he could get like a low level power five, like the, you know, the worst of the power five, but I, I don't even know if he could or not. But to hear him say that I thought was interesting. I also was asking a lot of questions about, if you have a third and one against Notre Dame, do you feel confident you can get it? And he was like, we're, based on the scrimmage Saturday, the scrimmage Saturday, he said in the run game, we're not, we're like, we're not where we need to be yet. We're not where we need to be yet. He said that he wasn't happy. They didn't run it great on Saturday. It wasn't a great day for running the ball. And then I, I would like to write this at some point this week that he was sort of talking about the, you know, I was asking about like, is it hard sometimes when you throw it so well, to be able to emphasize the idea of like, we just got to, we've got to be able to get it on third and one. As Ryan Day has said, you've got to be able to run it when they know you're going to run it. And he, I thought was pretty good about that, that he said, you know, we throw it so well, it basically was saying like, you can get caught up in that. But he said, I think our skill guys after last year, know that like, that doesn't matter that you've got to have balance. You've got to be able, you can't only throw your, and I'm not saying that like, this is not like CJ Stroud's fault or anything, this, but like, no, it feels like they know. And again, I'm I may be falling into my own trap because I've made fun of the idea of like, oh, my God, how many questions about being physical is the Ohio State offensive staff and offensive players going to get because they didn't get a third and one against Michigan. But I wanted to specifically ask about that. And he went there, Nathan, like that was. And again, Kevin Wilson likes to talk. He'll kind of go a lot of places, but I don't think I led him there. And he he said we are like. We want to emphasize the attitude that balance is greatness is, is like a paraphrase of a quote. And he's like, he said, that doesn't mean 50, 50. And like, well, you know, when I predicted 39 pass plays per game and 36 rush plays, it doesn't mean 50, 50, but it means be able to do both when you need it. It means the defense doesn't know exactly what you're going to do. Both the threat of both exists on every snap. And so I, I thought he was pretty good emphasizing like, yeah, we have to run it. And I am not a hundred. We talked a lot about pad level, just the difference with this offensive line, right? On third and one, you're getting low. You're trying to get under those defensive linemen. That's different than when you're getting ready to pass block. And he's not a thousand percent sure if they'd get the third and one against Notre Dame right now, which I thought was real. He has been on this thing since the spring. It was when he first brought it up about, you know, last year they put up a ton of stats. Well, what does that mean? Like they didn't get it done in, in some key situations. He was and, and to go to the scrimmage, he specifically brought up how in practice a lot of times they were they, they run through things like th- run through things like three or four at a time, and then they're moving people in and out. And on Saturday during the scrimmage, when they had to go seven, eight, nine, ten plays, they saw things get sloppy. That's where you saw the pad level wasn't where you wanted it to be in that stuff. So I think that. He, he brought it all back to this idea that whether this is a great offense or not won't be determined by what we saw last year, which is that they were number one in total offense and number one, I think, in scoring. Like They were the best offense in the country that was sitting home watching the playoffs because they didn't get it done in the run game in critical spots. That It's, it's you're talking about. It's the, it's the balance of execution, not the balance of distribution. Like it doesn't really matter. It, the, the snaps can be distributed however you want. You've got to execute them at the same high level. That could be on the wall in the team room. 
It's the balance of execution, not the balance of distribution. Do you want it to say dash dash Nathan Baird or could it say dash dash Buckeye talk? It should, um, I, I think like in period Baird. Okay. Looks a little Pare- bit more distinguished. N period Baird parentheses Buckeye talk? Yes, that's good. Yes. Parentheses Buckeye talk and Or like, I think it would be like comma quotes Buckeye talk. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe in italics, Buckeye talk in italics. Maybe, yeah. N period Baird comma Buckeye talk in italics. All right, we'll talk to Jerry. So I think that's right. It's not like sounding the alarm. The other thing I just kept asking about short yardage because I just want to get, get a vibe. Mayan Williams short yardage back was like a version. Like I kind of asked it in a roundabout way. And the answer was no. The answer is Trayvon Henderson and Mayan Williams. They both expect can do everything. And it is not in his mind situational. It has not yet been to this point. Yes. He acknowledged Mayan is a little different, but he said like, I have, and again, this is, you know, the position coach basically more often than not gets to make this call. But I do think if they really, if Ryan day and Kevin Wilson had real strong ideas about like, we, we want to, we want Mayan in on third and one, you know, like they could have that conversation with Tony Alford. doesn't seem like it's there at all. Like not situational substitutions. They expect Mayan Williams to play and they expect both of them to be able to do everything. And I was sort of saying on third one, would you want maybe a more like lower center of gravity, more power back, or do you want your number one back out there? And he was just like, man, we believe in both of them all the time, which to me was like Mayan Williams had sort of floated the idea of maybe I could be the short yardage back. And this to me was Kevin Wilson didn't go there at all. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, Trevor Henderson is who he is for a reason. And I know what you're talking about. The concept of, of Mayan Williams and that low center gravity being the guy who can get you that one yard, but Trevor Henderson is the more likely of the two guys also to get you the one yard and then everything else that comes after it. And it's hard to take that off the field more than you already are just to spell him. You know what I mean? Yep. I, I, and I think he also, again, it was a, it was a, a true freshman who hadn't played football for a year. I think before we like dismissed the idea that he can get that yard, any, um, or the, the Mayan Williams can definitely get it more easily than him. Let's give this guy another shot at now that he's had a full year in college, a full year with a strength program, another year of just maturation and growth. Um, I guess if you, if you think that Trevian Henderson can't get that yard, then you've got problems and that Mayan Williams probably can't solve. No, I, I agree with that. I don't want Mayan Williams to be the short yardage back because I think it would feed on itself. I mean, you're planning doubt in the mind yeah, yeah. of a guy we think could be a Heisman Trophy candidate. I'm like, what? I'm not. It's third and one in the middle of the fourth quarter against Notre Dame at the 35-yard line in a tie game, and I'm not in? What are we doing here? So, you know, the Browns do it. They take Nick Chubb off the field and put Kareem Hunt in. But, I mean, this isn't the NFL, and the roles aren't like that, and I don't think it would work. And so, I, but I just, like, wanted to check in on it. You know, I wanted to be like, I, you know, again, Kevin Wilson doesn't want to, I didn't say, I wouldn't do it, but would you? But that was Well, the but sim- similarly, Mayan Williams will get his carries. There's going to be, you know, even maybe in the second half of games, Trevin Henderson's played so many series in a row. Maybe they got the ball back quick, whatever. You want to give him a break. And then when it's third and one on that series, I think Mayan Williams is still the guy who gets that yeah. third and one shot. You, you don't it, take Mayan Williams ways. off the field to put right. in Trey if it's Mayan series. No, I agree. With you. Yeah, no, I think that's right. a good point. Yeah. Neither so of it, them is a short yard is back. Both of them are everything. Right. That goes back to a couple of years now. That like, It goes back to even 2020 where we were speculating, you know, well, you know, you've got Master Teague is this kind of back and Trey Sermon's this kind of back and how do they work together? And Tony Offord was just like, no, nah. like everybody has to be able to do the whole thing. We don't, we don't platoon out snaps in the middle of a drive with our running backs. Like you can either do the job or you can't. 
third or fourth series of the game for Mayan Williams? Yes. Third or fourth down for Mayan Williams? No. Um, I asked about uh, uh, the tight ends again. Kevin Wilson just sort of volunteered this. Cade Stover, complete dude, can do it all. And the other guy he trusts right now is Mitch Rossi. And he said, like, Joe Royer and G. Scott Jr. are coming along. And I said, like, hey, then on, like, those short yardage, is it is it Stover and Rossi in the game? He's like, yeah, right now it's those two. And I said, like, how do you feel about those two tight ends being in a short yardage? He was like, they're two of our best guys on the field. So you can tell he loves Stover and Rossi. Cause you could even see like Stover and Rossi were the last two guys talking and Kevin Wilson was finishing up a TV thing. And then he came off and he's joking around with Mitch Rossi and he's joking around with Cade Stover. I think those are his guys. It doesn't mean Joe Royer and G Scott and Bennett Christian and Sam Hart are not, but they need to come along. And it's just like, I, it maybe you can disagree. I can disagree. The fans can disagree. We're telling you the guy who's in charge of the tight ends, trust Cade Stover and Mitch Rossi and Joe Royer and G Scott are not there yet. Yeah. Uh, And I had asked him, I think I asked the question that got that because I had sort of already jumped ahead to this. I'm going to, you know, maybe I'll write about Joe Royer for tomorrow. And like, so my question to Kevin Wilson was like, Hey, how is he coming along? Because we had already kind of dismissed G Scott as being possibly the number two. So I'm like, well, how's he coming along? Is like maybe solving your number two thing. He's like, nah, it's, it's Stover and it's Rossi. Stover and Rossi Rossi. are the first two. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like, and have we had this conversation before? Have you noticed this before with Kevin Wilson when he first got here? Because Jack Osterman, who covered him at Indiana, went through this whole thing with me one time about how Kevin Wilson talks about like, like this guy's just a guy, but this guy's kind of a dude. Or maybe it's the other way around. Like this guy's a dude, but that guy's a guy. I can't remember which it is, but whichever one of those things is better, Stover and Rossi are definitely it. Um, And we got to talk to Mitch Rossi a little bit today about that. So now I actually am, I think, writing about Mitch Rossi for tomorrow. Because I think whoever is the two tight end is interesting with this offense because they wants to be able to use it. It will be a thing that that guy does need to get in and execute in important spots, such as third and one at times. And he was a guy that I think we had a little bit maybe dismissed as possibly not being in that number two mix because he had that, that fullback niche. Like when they would go to three tight ends, he was the one lining up as a fullback, but he didn't get a lot of, I'd have to go back and look like he doesn't get a ton of just like number two tight end reps last year. It was Ruckert and they did less 12 personnel anyway. And Stover took those 12 personnel snaps. So this would be a expansion of what Mitch Rossi has been to this point. It just remains to be seen if they trust him to the point where they're going to play that a lot. I, I doubt it. I think it's probably still going to be a one tight end offense more often than not. Yeah. I would I'd be careful with your story. You said niche, like I, four times today in questions. I could, I, it's, it's, it's like, Oh, I heard, I heard someone say niche with a French accent. It's Nathan asking a question about the fullback. I think I was, yeah, I think I was asking Kevin Wilson and, and Mitch Rossi about that. And you were there both times. Yeah. Uh, quiche also good quiche mm. you like quiche i i do enjoy a good quiche yeah you guys you got you make quiche you make quiche i've made quiche recently we made um what's it called wait a, wait, wait, uh, wait, wait we're doing what's that's my bad well i wasn't gonna bring that up no, it's been i wasn't gonna be there's another thing that you just like uh stir up eggs and stuff in a pan and bake it and it's got a different name and i can't remember what estrada estrada oh that's we just made one of those a couple months ago that was good I covered a baseball player named Johnny Estrada. 
I thought that was a cool mm-hmm. name. Catcher, yeah. Yeah. Braves, Phillies, yeah. N- not very Switch good. Switch hitter. So look at you with the 90s baseball references. You it's don't even so have – you have no idea. <laughs> we, can, we can do that podcast. I mean, you want to do a nine-hour Buckeye oh, Talk do podcast. we want 11 today. people to listen to it? Um, <laughs> so, so I just I, – I, I think this very well. I think to your point about a one tight end offense, like it's almost like if Rossi's your two, this to me very much feels like the kind of thing where Kevin's like, I love Mitch Rossi and I loved all six snaps he played against Notre Dame. You know what I mean? Yep. Where it's yes, like, yes, yes. I believed in him for all 5.3% of the times he was on the field. And which is great. Do your job when you're asked to do it. But I don't think this means they're going to be, this is not Ruckert and Farrell. It's not Ruckert and Farrell, but when they had Ruckert and Farrell, they were taking Jameson Williams off the field to do it. And I know what Jameson Williams did was at Ohio State, but in retrospect, when you look back at it, it does make me think about it like 8% more, like the, the decision to do that and how much that how much it was paying off for them. Now, they got to the national championship game and had a really high-scoring offense. It was really good. I just – anyway, it's, 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 it's interesting to me. It's not Ruckert and Farrell. I, it's not record and fair. It's not record and fair. Well, partially uh, because it, regardless of how good the second guy is, they don't have a one that's record or fair yet. No, no, no apologies to to Cade Stover, who I had a really fun talk with about. Um, I was like, "Hey, do you guys do hogs in addition to like beef on your farm?" He's like, "No, nah, we don't do that anymore." Because I wanted to, I wanted a answer to why bacon packaging is so terrible. But then we had a good, we had a fun conversation about how he's gotten a lot of NIL opportunities that have like people have like given them stuff for their farm in exchange for like his NIL oh. stuff. I feel like we need to revisit the bacon packaging discussion on a future podcast. We'll tease that. Anything else about tight ends? G Scott um, says he's ready to contribute. The transformation is still ongoing. Again, I, I wasn't at him the whole time, but. He's very optimistic, I think, feels really good about where he is. But it's just a reminder, the transformation, I don't think, is a thousand percent complete. So doesn't mean he's not a good football player. Doesn't mean he couldn't help them this year. But I just would just not go too far. I don't I don't think I don't think anything we heard today, Nathan, dissuaded us from that opinion. I think that we had gradually formed over the course of the preseason. Still very intrigued by what fourth or fifth year G. Scott junior is but not expecting it to happen this year all right anything else from the tight end sam hart young bennett christian young joe royer still pretty darn young and you know they're they're trying to find their way that that's like an interesting you know not all those guys are going to pop probably somebody will and somebody won't and it'll be as much as they kind of had this winding road to get to Cade Stover, you know, they still got to figure out everything else behind them. And it it will be interesting. You know, the future of this tight end room behind Stover and Rossi, it's like, who will be the guys a year from now where it's like, I I know I believe in those guys. Yeah. One thing that I guess I keep coming away with is if you are Bennett Christian, there's probably an opportunity, not this year, Cause he's, you know, just being a freshman, but like, what could he be a year from now? And is that enough to start replacing what they're going to be missing? But it's a big jump. Like he, yeah. he has definitely been brainwashed by Kevin Wilson. Like he was talking himself about how, well, you know, this is a developmental position. <laughs> it was like, he was, it was Kevin Wilson being funneled through a, uh, a kid from Georgia. So um, uh, you're right that 
a year from now, Rossi will be gone unless he gets his like 14th year of eligibility. And I guess Stover, Stover could be back. Stover might yeah. still be around, but it, it, it is a very still inexperienced room underneath there. And we know they're not going to just go sign God's gift to tight end in like any class that just jumps in and becomes a starter or anything. So where, where this keeps developing underneath, I mean, it's still a huge year for the way we've talked about like backup tackles and stuff on offense. It's still a huge year for Royer, Scott, Christian Hart, I guess like those guys still have to make a jump for next year. All right. When we come back, what you're watching, what you're eating on Buckeye talk. Nathan Baird, what you watching lately? Uh, so we just watched The Departed, which have I have obviously seen. Yeah, I've okay. seen it many times, but it was watching it with my wife for the first time. And f- first of all, it took two nights to watch it because the first night she fell asleep about 20 minutes in. It had been a long day with the baby and stuff. And then the second night, it took us like an extra hour to watch it because of the baby it's one of those nights where like the baby's upstairs and he starts whining. It's like one of us goes up and like comes down and then like three minutes later, he's whining again. So now somebody has to go back up and like, we're just pausing through the whole thing. Like there was literally some, some huge thing. Like there's a big like climactic shootout scene near towards the end of the movie. And it's like literally about to happen. And we have to just pause it right there. And then like go take care of the baby. And it's, it's, it's a, um, you know, you're doing the best you can under the circumstances. I thought you were going to say like, you know how it is. Like we're trying to watch the movie and then the baby isn't a huge DiCaprio fan. Doesn't want to watch it. Right, wants to right. change it. And it's like, uh, it's a good film. Um, we're not going to give anything away, of course, but like, there's a thing that happens that is yes. really interesting. Was your wife, did your wife find that very interesting? Well, there are actually two things that happen. Um, and both times uh, pretty startled. Yeah. Both times she said, wow, interesting which is yeah. how people react to movies. Uh, no, that's a good <laughs> one. That's a, that's, a, that's a very enjoyable movie. And Matt Damon and Leonardo DiCaprio, it's, it's a pretty good place to start. And, and I also, we're, I think we both but, like the West Wing. We like Martin Sheen. Martin yeah. Sheen's in it. But that whole cast, it's, it's, it was funny, like watching that movie start. And then like, it, it unfolds in a very, like they're bouncing around a lot. So you're going from like Jack Nicholson to Matt Damon, like Leonardo DiCaprio, and then it's Mark Wahlberg and Martin Sheen and Alec Baldwin, and like every scene, it would just be like, it, again, she didn't have that much familiarity with movies. She's like, how many people are in this movie? Yeah, it's it's a pretty loaded cast. And I do think I I think Wahlberg as a one can be good, but like Wahlberg as a three or a four, if he's not your primary receiver, mm-hmm. it's like if you're just like flipping at the Mark Wahlberg on some bubble screens every now and then to loosen up the defense, that could be really good. So. That's a good yeah. one. Yeah, he was really good in this. Uh, the, the the tandem of him and Alec Baldwin is like their back and forth is is pretty great. He is great in Boogie Nights, actually, I think. And I don't actually know how great of an actor he is. But it, it, like that's Paul Thomas Anderson, Martin Scorsese, like great actors know how to use him. Or great directors, I'm sorry, know how to use him well. I like him when he's with Will Ferrell, too, because he's with, with, with Fer- Will Ferrell in one of the cop movies. And then he's with in Will Ferrell in like a nice family drama. No, well, not really a drama. Mark Wahlberg's the dad. Will Ferrell's the stepdad. Family yeah. dynamics. It's very, it's funny, but also very touching. There's a, a terrible CGI with the motorcycle in that movie. But other than that, it's okay. All right. So uh, I watched, my daughter's going off to college, and there's just some movies 
that I think it would be good for her to have seen. So we're, we're trying to run through a couple of them. Um, this is not hugely high on the list, but it, it's sort of like a teen rom-com that sort of like helped spark the genre. So I was like, yeah, we should probably watch this. So we watched Can't Buy Me Love the other mm. night. And I just want to say some of the best sad face acting that it's it's a pretty, you know, I think it's from 1989. It's a pretty good teen rom-com, but the acting, Patrick Dempsey and Amanda Peterson, who are the two main people, and then his, uh, Patrick Dempsey's friend, Kenneth, there is some actual like dramatic tension in that movie. And when they're making sad faces, uh, you believe them. And it's, you know, sometimes a lot of times the, you know, the teenage stuff is cheesy, but uh, sad eye acting, much respect for what they brought to the table there. I don't have anything to add to that, but I want to segue to one of my favorite things on Twitter right now is there's a person with an account who is taking like famous movie scenes and running them through a Snapchat filter where like their faces get like cartoonishly big, like eyes and smiles. It's pretty hilarious. And they did Patrick Dempsey. I have no idea if they've done this oh. movie or not, but the one that the first one I saw was heat where they did it with a scene where Al Pacino is interrogating uh, Hank Azaria and <laughs> with the dialogue that is used in that scene, it's an especially effective. Uh, yeah. It's, it's really funny. Uh, if you tweet or text to Nathan, he'll tell you what the Twitter account is where you can find that. I don't remember. Yeah. It's just something that You're came across. Reporter. What yeah. are you eating or excuse? Yeah. Eating. That's what you're watching. What are you eating? What am I eating? So recently I went to a Columbus Clippers game. And with afterward, the baby or without the baby? With the baby. With the, the baby, baby and, and the like wife. Baseball? He was uh, indifferent. Thought it was boring, huh? Uh, I, I don't know. I still don't know how far a four-month-old can see. We had actually pretty good seats. They were down pretty close to the field. But uh, he may not have actually been able to see any farther than like the person next to him. Like the babies have limited sensory abilities at that age. So, um, you know, he likes being outdoors. It seems he likes noise, like like white noise. His favorite song is like (laughs) I thought at this point it would be like, you know, Twinkle Twinkle Little Star or something. And like we just play like white noise, like of a plane. So it's just like, what's your favorite song? Oh, it's like the. 747 from LaGuardia to Heathrow for eight hours. Um, so anyway, we after the game, though, we went to this place called Goodwood, which I had never been to before. I had seen it in Indianapolis. It has taken over one of the establishments that we used to walk past if you're going from like where we stay over to some of the um, other places in downtown Indy. And there's one down by Nationwide Arena in Columbus. And they had a... I didn't order this, but my wife did. And I had a piece of it and I definitely want to go back. They had like a brisket grilled cheese. And I thought it would be like mostly grilled cheese with like a little bit of brisket. It's like a lot of brisket with also a lot of cheese like melted in it. And it was fantastic. It's like one of the best sandwiches I've had in a while. Oh, uh, just side. Side of fries with that. They had, they had fries and chips and tots. Mm. And I didn't get the tots, but I was told the tots are very good. You didn't get the tots. I totally would pick you for a tot getter. I'm, you know, I'm an enigma. Like sometimes I do. You're typically a tot getter, just not on this particular occasion where you I'm often getter. a, I'm often a tot getter, but for whatever reason, this time the tot it's, it's tricky. Cause sometimes it's just like, well, you just have frozen tots. I don't know. I'm not that excited. And if you say, if you say you have homemade chips and I know the chips are going to be like 
fresh and whatever, then I'm probably leaning that way. And I know the fries are usually like hand cut and, and from the place, but tots can sometimes just be a bag of frozen tots. Have you ever made homemade tots? I bet you have. I have not. I have made homemade potato chips. I make fries all the time in the air fryer and I made potato chips a couple months ago. Um, and they take fries, forever. Is making fries just cutting up a potato and then putting it in the air fryer? Or is there well, another step? The, the, the critical step, there is a step hey in the guys, middle. Hey, guys, write this down. It's, it's crucial. You do have to cut up a potato. And then the way we do it, you get a pot of water boiling. And then when it's boiling and your potatoes are cut up, you put them in the pot, but then just take it off the heat. So it's sitting in that water, that really, really hot boiling water. Um, that isn't boiling now the whole time, obviously, but leave them there for like 10 minutes or so, five, 10 minutes at least, and let them parboil, I believe is the, the term in cuisine so that that helps get them already starting to cook and they don't have to completely cook in the air fryer. Do you make them nice and crispy? Yeah. Then it's up to you how long you want to leave them in to that. It's crucial. Then I like to not cut them too thick. Because then they can crisp up easier in there. Yeah, and you just got to yeah. take it out every five minutes and like shake it and stick it back in. Buckeye talk. Most of the things that you do when you cook seem like a lot of work. But you enjoy the work? Well, uh, yeah. Anything worth doing is worth doing well or something. But if you're like, you're sitting up there like, man, I'm, I'm shaking these fries. This is just, I love this. I love shaking these fries. Well, the good thing about that is like part of it is work, but then part of it is passive. Like you can get it all started and then, you know, it's gonna have to cook for 20, 25 minutes. So you go over and you start writing something or whatever and or getting something ready for the next day. And then every five minutes you go over and shake it and you go back and work. It's it's not it's part of it is active. Part of it's passive. So my eating is what I didn't eat. And I don't know if people have run into this. I ordered wings from a national chain. It's not a gigantic chain, but I ordered it on their app and it took my order. And then this was last week. And then I went to the store and the local store was closed. And it said, <laughs> had that happened before. like there was a sign that was like, Hey, sorry, we'll be back tomorrow. And then I went by again on Monday and it's still closed. And I sent like an email to the website that started like WTF. But it's just odd. This is not the first time this happened to me when you have these, like, I understand there's a local proprietor of a national chain and you may have something. I understand we we, we get it that it's hard. You know, the job market right now, there's a lot of complications still there. I think we're still working things out from the pandemic and with where the economy is right now and everything. I understand that it can be difficult to keep employees, but then you have to like, remove like hit the click the button so that like your shop doesn't take an order on the national app it's happened to you you this must have happened to other people that this has happened to you also nathan yeah so i'm trying to remember what's the name what's like the local like sandwich place um i know it's called like mr sandwich or something right like (laughs) what am i what am i thinking of Ah, mr hero yeah maybe it's mr hero oh we there's one like down the street from us that i tried to order from one time on a sunday And I did the order through the online thing and then got to the restaurant and it was closed on Sundays. So like why they're even accepting orders on Sundays beyond me. And then one time I ordered from uh, the local Boston market that we have here in Bexley and at like seven late sevens on a probably again on a Sunday and then got there and found out they closed at eight. 
Yeah. So did you get your money back both times? Like what happened? Yeah. You have to then, yeah, you have to like contact the store and be like, Hey, what's up? And they'll be like, yeah, sorry. (laughs) Then they'll send you a refund. They just like refund your card or whatever. I feel like it's a, it's a, it's the, the chain's fault. It's probably not the local proprietor's fault that it's like, well, I, I don't know what you like. They take the order, but like, we're not open. There's nothing we can do about it. But like the chains have to figure this out. So, I mean, it's not the end of the world, but it is an odd thing. It feels like it is a a shattering of the customer restaurant relationship. And again, the relationships in my life, it's like my wife, my children, and the third most important relationship in my wife might be my relationship with restaurants. And the idea like, we have all this technology. Most of the places you can't even call to order anymore. Like they would, they won't even answer the phone and you take my order. I drive to your place and then you're closed is very dis. Yeah. I'm whining. I'm whining. And then the restaurant was closed. And then guess what I had to do? I had to get food somewhere else. Can you believe it? But yeah. just just tell me it's closed. Oh, it's closed. I won't order. Like they have to fit the chains have to figure this out. Yeah, I think or I think these robots have progressed. I know you think they have. You think they've progressed yeah. too far already. But I know that they've progressed to the point where if I go on there to order, it should say, um, oh, we don't accept online orders beyond 745 because we close at eight. Yeah. That each local store should be able to say like Click, boom, don't take orders to my restaurant because of whatever. That we can send a man to the moon and we can't get an online app to not take orders for a closed restaurant, Nathan. So I, 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 hope, I hope other people are relating to this and not just thinking I'm a whiny restaurant customer because I do get it. And like, it's been interesting to see the evolution sort of of restaurants post-pandemic with you know, um, everything that's happened. And, and you really can see how difficult it is for some places to get enough staff. I mean, and you try to be yeah. very cognizant because, you know, you go in somewhere and it's like there's 13 people in line and there's four people working when you can tell this is really a seven person job. And these four people are the only four people here trying to do this. And I, I, I get it. But it's uh, it's just it's fascinating because, again, because people know, I mean, like, honestly, like my hobby is going to restaurants. That's that's where I spend my money. I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't collect things. I don't drive fancy cars. I go out to eat. I love going out to eat. And it's been interesting to see where that is right now and good luck to all the restaurants out there and to all the the workers in those restaurants who are out there doing it. But um, it's just weird to go in restaurants and it's like, there's a long wait and you can see like the restaurants half empty, but they don't have enough staff to do it. And I just like want to tell the people just raise your prices, just charge me $2 more for the thing that I'm going to eat. I'll happily pay it so that you can pay your staff more and fill up your restaurant like this just like it doesn't seem like this is working just raise the prices and then if it's too much then people won't come but yeah but a lot of people like i i want the experience and i i would like you to be able to have the staff that you need something that we were struck by last week so my uh, in-laws were in town and when they come into town to help with uh bennett 
um, they'll usually let my wife and I go out to dinner. Like we get a date night one night to get away from things. And last Thursday, to get we away from to, your baby, to get away, get away from, from our baby, baby. To, yeah. say it. Yeah. to get away from our house. And uh, we went to a uh, Indian place here in the neighborhood called Cobb. And it's one of our favorite places that's very local to us. And there was, I think one waiter working that night. Now it wasn't super busy that night, but it, clearly like one server who was doing everything. But then, like, from the time that we were there, they probably had 12, like, DoorDash people come in and pick up orders. Like, you could tell, like, that was, like, a very constant churn. So that's an interesting dichotomy right now, that there are people who don't want to kind of get tied down to working maybe at these restaurant jobs for whatever reason, uh, because they're all hiring. Like, every place is, like, desperately hiring. But there seem to be an abundance of people who are willing to kind of work on their own and turn it on or off as they need to and have kind of the more control over when they're working, where they're working, how they're working and doing the mobile side of things. So um, I, 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 it's something we've been talking about a lot. Like we're just very curious about it because we've already seen from people have heard from people that like when I was a kid, as soon as you turned 16, you were getting a job. Like you wanted a car so you could get a job. So you could pay for having a car like it was this really cyclical thing. And now it seems like I don't know if, if your daughter's the same way, but like it seems like this generation like doesn't work quite that way. And how is it going to be like 15, 16 years down the road? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I know a lot of teenagers with jobs, so there, there are a lot who still do that. But um, and I think we're more commenting on the curiosity of how this evolves. It feels like the the restaurant business is in flux right now as we sort through a lot of things are in flux, but as we sort through, there was really quite a time there. Now, when you look back on it, even three, three or four years back to when it was like super cheap and easy to go to a restaurant. And one of the reasons it was super cheap and easy because people working there weren't getting paid very much. Right. And so, and then there was a disruption and we're still in the disruption. And I think in the end, hopefully the disruption is good for workers, but it is interesting. I hope it's also good for restaurants and where the consumers will be fine. There's always somewhere to go eat, but it's interesting to observe as someone who, not to brag, is something of a restaurant aficionado. Yeah. But along those lines, uh, sometimes you don't make these connections in your head, but like I was telling my wife, like, oh, you should get the McDonald's app, because now whenever I am going to like drive through McDonald's, I'm using the app because it's like you're always getting something for free. So you can buy like like we were driving through the other day. I was like, hey, let's just both order with the app, because like if I get a drink, you'll basically get a drink free and you're getting points and all this stuff. But then it's like so I end up spending like half as much as I always would every time I go to McDonald's, which isn't very much to begin with anyway. And then it's like, why doesn't anybody want to work at McDonald's? Why can't McDonald's pay people more? It's it's but that's a choice they're making to sort of give the food away for free. Uh, but only if you bypass needing a worker in the first place. Right. And soon a McDonald's robot will live in your house with you and your child. So that's what, that's what you're choosing to do by doing the app. You're um, out of God's ears. All right. Because a hey, McDonald's robot. Could you watch the baby while my wife and I go out to a real restaurant? <laughs> uh, I will give your baby fries. But the ice cream machine is broken. Okay. <laughs> uh, all right. That'll do it for this version. When you come back on the Wednesday pod, uh, it'll be a defensive line discussion. And then also later in the week, a discussion, final discussion on the pod. It'll be the 12th episode of an opponent preview 
And there's going to be a lot of texture interaction. I sent out what I thought was a pretty good survey and got some really good answers about where our text audience is in terms of Michigan, uh, the rivalry, how important they think the Ohio State-Michigan game is this year. And we'll discuss that later in the week. Uh, and just go back and listen to, make sure you get the Monday pod. I just thought the Monday, mark it down Monday, I just thought it was really fun. It was really specific. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to put the, the timestamps in there. So if you just want to listen to the Jackson Smith and Jigba part or the who's going to lead the team in sacks part, you can find it, eat it in little pieces. Uh, but I, I definitely would recommend that if you listen to Buckeye Talk with any regularity. All right, that's it for Nathan Baird. I'm Doug Maurice, And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.